Harry and Mary, they get to hear it twice. They heard it this morning at another church. So you get to hear it twice. Everybody gets to hear it once. But prayerfully, it resonates in our hearts. Would you open up to Matthew chapter 13? Matthew chapter 13. Familiar parable. I will read the first nine verses and then go over to the interpretation Christ gives in verses 18 to 24. Starting in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And a great crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. (coughs) But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. I missed the verse of scripture. Verse 5. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil, produced grain, some 100-fold, some 60, others 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18. Jesus says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what he has been sown into his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and he understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything you've done in our life, Father God. We thank you for sowing the word in our heart, Father God. We thank you, God, that it was by an exercise of your will, you brought us forth through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Father. We thank you that day, somewhere in the past, we heard your voice in the message that said, come to me, child, and be forgiven. Thank you, O God, that you have given us ears to hear and eyes to see, and a mind that can comprehend these things, Father God. Thank you for granting us peace, repentance, and faith, Father God. God, I ask you to breathe upon the text tonight, illuminate our minds, Father God, that we can grasp the scope and the depth of this parable, and the other ones, Father God, that we mentioned, Lord God. Open up our minds, Father God, to understand the scriptures. Bless us today, we ask in Christ's name. The parable of the heart is like like the call this. It's a parable most of us know. We've read it, we've heard it, 
We're extremely familiar with it. It's probably blessed us. Prayerfully will bless us again. I'd like to share some thoughts on this parable of the heart, because that's what Christ is talking about here. He's talking about the condition of the human heart. Why do some believe? Why don't some believe? Why do some people believe for at least for a short while, it looks like, other people fall away? There's an importance here to understanding these parables about the kingdom. Christ has given us kingdom dynamics. He's preparing his disciples what's going to happen when he's not around and they start preaching. And uh, Jesus desires us to understand certain Christian truths about the kingdom. There are not just positive truths, these are negative also. We're going to see both negative and positive in this parable tonight. Jesus in chapter 11 spoke about a time when the, the kingdom would suffer violence. And violent men would take uh, or try to take the kingdom by force. And if you're familiar with that text, Jesus is talking about a time when people, everybody wants to come to the kingdom of God. Who doesn't want to spend eternity in the bosom of Abraham? The problem is, is everybody's coming their own way. And that's what Christ is talking about. People are forcing their way into the kingdom. We're, we're going to come our way. Maybe a little faith, maybe a little works, maybe a little grace, maybe a little effort, uh, maybe a lot of me, maybe a little bit of Jesus. But we're going to force our way into the kingdom. We're going to make this work. I, I want it. But I want it my way. I don't want to have to repent the way you teach me how to repent, Jesus. And I don't want to have to put just faith in you. I want to sort of, you know, don't put all my eggs in one basket. And that's what Christ is talking about. He's talking about a time that's going to come when people believe they're in the kingdom. They're forcing their way in. But they're not really there. Because they didn't come by grace. What we have in this parable today is some dynamics about that. The kingdom, true Christianity, is under attack as much now as it was then when people were trying to force their way into it. And the parables in this chapter help to identify some of these characteristics. The parable we read tonight help us to understand some of the characteristics about forcing their way in. You'll see that more in the application later on. And it gives great rise to inconsistencies in the Christian church and in Christian life. We start to see things that just don't make sound. I, I hear Lord, Lord, but I'm seeing something totally different. I, I just don't understand how this is all working. Jesus wants us to have understandings about these things so that we're not taken unaware. As I mentioned already, the disciples are going to go out into a hostile world that just crucified Christ. Uh, a message that Jesus says, don't be shocked that the world hates you, it, it hated me first. And then he's going to tell them to go out there and when they persecute you, turn your cheek. Walk an extra mile. And the apostles have to have some kind of understanding of what they're in for. As Christians, we need to know what the Christian life is all about. I would like to say... It's just one happy life and everybody goes to heaven. I would like to tell you that. But I'd be lying to your soul and I would misrepresent Christ. Listen, narrow is the road and small is the gate and few find it. Even though everybody's forcing their way through other doors and other gates and other roads, few truly Find So great are these inconsistencies within Christian life that there's another parable that says, wait. Wait to the end of the age. The angels will come back and they'll separate 
the wheat and the tares. Wait. Don't do anything. Just wait. The inconsistencies that I'm speaking about tonight is about, as I mentioned, it's the yes, yes, but everywhere in their life it's no, no. Paul talks about it in Titus when he says they profess to know God, but they deny him in their works. The first parable we read about deals with the human heart. It deals with these great inconsistencies. It's represented by four different types of soil. And the soil's uh, receptivity to the message of salvation, that's the seed. It's a message about Christ himself. It's a message of man's need to be saved, man's need to be forgiven. Man is a, a, lives amongst a, a sinful humanity and that we all need to repent and we all need to come to Christ. Uh, whoever so comes will be saved. Uh, there's only one name under heaven that man can be saved, and that is Christ. There is nothing more important in God right now than the message of Jesus Christ. There's nothing has been, nothing will be ever more important to God than the faithfulness, the preaching, the message of Jesus Christ, so that souls can be saved, because God does not delight in the death of anyone. And the message of salvation is clear. Repent and believe. Verse 1 to 3, I'm going to read it again. It, it sets the historical setting for what's taking place in the parables. The same day Jesus went out. Can you say the same day? The same day. Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him. So he got into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd stood on a beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. There's a reflective nature between verse 1 and verse 2. Let me explain. It starts off with that same day. That same day is, is alluding to chapter 12. So if you're not familiar with chapter 12, chapter 12 really is the, the religious rulers of Israel's outright wholesale rejection of Jesus. And, and the pinnacle rejection is when they attributed to the Spirit of God the work of Satan. And they attributed Jesus' miraculous power to the work of Beelzebub, the, the prince of darkness. Basically what they're saying, we want nothing to do with you no more, and the only reason you're healing the leper and you're healing the, the, the demonic, and you're casting out demons, and you're opening up the eyes of the blind, and the only reason you're raising the dead is because you are in alliance with Satan himself. At this point, Jesus might as well say, if you don't receive the light you already have, I'm not going to give you no more. What do you do to this crowd? How do you win this crowd over? They just said you're Satan. Where do you go from there? And then go down, they, they still ask for a sign. The Jews wanted another sign. And he said, another sign you're not going to have. You adulterous generation asks for a sign. The only sign you're going to have is the sign of Jonah. That's all. It's this day that Jesus is now sitting at the beach. He's not getting a tan. I can assure you he's not drinking a Corona. He's not chilling out. You know what I mean? Just kicking back. 
you know, and just, you know, some sort of Panama hat on, you know, no, he's just saying to myself, he's saying like, the nation just rejected me. I came to my own, and my own received me not. Why do I do? He's reflective of the great wholesale national rejection of their own prophesied to come and is now here Messiah. He's reflected. It's from this moment on in the book of Matthew that Jesus starts to speak in parables. He's not going to give them any more sure signs of who he is. If you want to know who he is now, you have to think about the message. And if you're not sure, ask because Christ will give an answer. He speaks in parables from now on. It's with this hardness in mind that Jesus is reflected. It's in this hardness of mind that he gets into a boat and he starts to expound on kingdom dynamics and he starts to speak about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven and he starts to tell them about the parable of the sower. The first thing he wants to teach all of us and to teach his disciples is just how wicked, as Jeremiah says, the human heart is. It is so fickle, it is so wicked that even in the clear signs that Messiah has come, they still reject him. How bad the human heart really is. In every good and perfect thing that Christ did, they still would not to believe. And so he, he breaks it down, he compartmentalizes it, and he makes it into soils. Four different types of soil. Just really represent spiritual receptivity to God's grace. This first parable with its explanation is a right to is uh, This first parable with its explanation is a right place to start when it comes to kingdom inconsistencies. And that will that kingdom inconsistencies, you'll understand when I get more into the application of this. Yes, yes, there's no no. There's many say, Lord, Lord, but Jesus says, You don't do my will. You don't do my will. Because it deals with the human heart. It's the most troubled, misunderstood entity in the universe. It's just how fickle we are. And we all fall in this. Our yes is not always yes, and our no is not always no. Verse 19, we'll start to apply this. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. What we have represented here is the calloused heart that refuses to believe no matter what they hear, and especially no matter what they see. They will not change their mind. In the face of all the many miracles of Christ, they just did not disbelieve, but they associated Christ with Satan. This is, there is no way to go after. No matter what people see, no matter how many times someone sees a change in your life, a genuine, radical change for God, some people still won't believe in the message of Jesus we preach. They won't see it. 
they can't see. Some people refuse, not just not listen, but you can sit there and say, once I go, remember the way I was, remember my life? You grew up with me. You know me. You ran with me. Look at what God has done. Truly, God is great. Will not listen. No matter how many times they hear the gospel, they refuse to believe in light of all the evidence. This heart is more in line with Satan than it is with God. This person does not realize the satanic activity that's going all around him, how Satan thrives where there's total spiritual indifference. When people don't even consider, when it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, Jesus is not implying that someone's seeking an answer. Jesus is not just saying, well, you know, I know you're looking for an answer and you're asking questions and you're not, you haven't gotten it yet. Maybe you didn't go to the right church yet, the right synagogue yet, but I know you're searching. This person is not searching. He does not understand because he gives no attention to the word, period. When someone speaks, all it is is words. But to the saved, there's a message in the words. They hear God. They hear mercy. They sense forgiveness. They see their need. Other people, it's words. It's, it's words. Amen. This is the callous heart. The next verse shows us a different heart. I like to call this the flesh and the pan conversion heart. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when the tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, could you say account of the word? Account of the word. Immediately this person falls away. Unlike the first one who, he, who, unlike the first heart who never for a moment entertains the gospel message. It's just words. This one receives the message of hope immediately with great joy. It's, it's not even out of the preacher's mouth and someone saying, Hallelujah! I'm in! I'm part of this. This is great. This is wonderful. And for a short season in their life, they're mimicking a true conversion. But though they heard the message, they're not listening to the implications. They heard the good stuff about forgiveness and mercy and grace. I mean, I can, I can preach that anywhere. People are going to say, I can go upstairs and they'll receive it at the 12-step program. They'll receive that. I go to the synagogue, they'll receive that. You go you go into a mosque, they'll receive that. That sounds good. You can go, you go anywhere and tell them that God just loves you and God just wants to give you everything. All the goodies are yours. Just, just ask in Jesus' name. Everybody's going to sign up for that. They receive that message real quick. They never really read the fine print that you must suffer with me, pick up a cross. They, they forgot about that part of the, of, the, of the message. But all of a sudden that message starts to come through and we find out that this heart is shallow and empty. It has no real depth. Their faith isn't real deep. It's, it's a superficial type of, of faith. There's no real roots going down to, into the heart bringing the life of the gospel. It's all superficial. It's all empty. It's all surface salvation. It looks good and right on the outside. 
It's like a blade of grass shooting up to the sky. It, 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 it's, uh, it, you can't see what's underneath it. It all looks the same. Until noonday comes and the scorching heat comes with it, and the scorching wind, and, and it dries up quickly. And we see here the comparison of the scorching heat with tribulation and persecution because of the word. And I want you to forget that. This is the person that receives the message with great fanfare. But as soon as someone comes along way and says, you believe I'm going to hell? Because I don't believe the way you do. Are you telling me Jesus is the only way? Are you telling me everybody else in the world is not going to be saved? You're telling me I have to be born again? Is that what you're telling me? That's the persecution. Sound familiar? This is very offensive to people. To tell a Jew 2,000 years ago that the law of Moses was over was highly offensive. There was nothing more offensive in the ancient world than to tell a Jew, you need to follow Messiah and be born again and, 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 and forsake Moses. That was highly offensive. We fast forward today and just say, you know, I know you're religious and I know you go to church, but you need to be saved. You need to know to save the language. It's not good enough just to go to church. It's not good enough just to be devoted to your devotions. You need to truly repent. You need to recognize that in the eyes of a God who's holy and righteous, you're a sinner, mom, or dad, or my son, or my daughter. And you need to come to Christ and truly Ask him for forgiveness. That's very offensive to people. Me? I'm a good person. One of the saddest things about what I just said is what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches that the greatest culprits will be family you know what Christ said? I did not come to bring a sword. I'll bring peace, but to bring a sword. And set one family member against another. That's Christ's words. This is the fine print. Jesus says that the members of one owns household will become their greatest enemy. When that persecution comes on, the superficial kind of Christian, they're gone. They are gone. They do not suffer for one moment. Those same words used immediately he received, immediately he fell away. Ba-boom! Oh God, how many people I can see in my face, my mind right now that fit that description. Though I don't know the human heart. Only God does. That's why God says, Brian, leave it to the end of the age. Leave it to the angels will take care of that. The angels will take care of that. The next heart represented here is really no better. He says, for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it proves in the end to be unfruitful. This heart also confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. But its downfall is not in what people say. It's not about the fear of man. The, 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 the seed before that was the fear of man. 
Their downfall is not what people think, what people can do. Their downfall is what the world can offer. The seduction of the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the prideful possessions of life. This is this seed's downfall. This is this heart's downfall. You see, this heart is a preoccupied heart. It's preoccupied with the things of this world. Things and the cares and the worries and the desires of this world are more important than the concerns for God and for the kingdom of God. Sometimes it takes many years for this to finally manifest and for someone to really come to realize that their profession of professing of faith is superficial. It was phony. It takes time and circumstance to finally reveal what's in us. Persecution and tribulation. At one time as a young minister, uh, even as a young I try to keep people away from that. Oh, no more. Give it to the Lord. Because nothing strengthens a Christian more than persecution and tribulation. Do you really want to know where you stand with God? Be persecuted for your faith. You will know where you stand. And I'm not saying that's easy. We do with fear and trembling and tears. But understand something. Everyone who professes Christ will go through the baptism of fire. Everyone. The things here in this world start to crowd out any true devotion to God. Eventually, the things in this world actually become God to this seed. To this soil, I should say. This is the soil whose heart was there, I believe. But slowly but surely, the influences of the world, the desires for riches. In Mark's gospel, it says, and the desire for other things. All of a sudden, things that get my attention, things that glitter like gold, and that's more important than that, that the preaching, that's more important than the worship. And oh, I gotta work on Sunday, I got it's triple time on Sunday, and, and all of a sudden it's this, and all of a sudden it's that, and it's Jesus who, and, it, and all of a sudden the things that I used to love, I don't love no more. Because something happened. Their hearts are chasing after something else, their affections that were there and warm for a short season for God, are gone now. These people find themselves trying to justify worldly affections and living for God. They're living in two worlds at the same time for a while. And after a while, their conscience finally loses the battle and being spiritually exhausted. Understand something. Trying to serve two masters is absolutely draining. You cannot do it. No one can do it. Sooner or later, you get exhausted. You either say enough of the world and it's all Jesus, or you say enough of Jesus and it's all the world. You cannot, will not, ever have both. This heart has been slowly choked to death the affections of this life. The last seed. This is the fertile soil. This is the good soil. It produces something. 30, 60, 100 fold. This seed's strength, and I want you to listen to this. This good soil 
I know we all want to be in good soil, right? Hopefully we are. Okay. Its strength is not in the absence of weakness and frailty. Don't ever think that. This is not the good seed who's the super Christian. Who just loves to be persecuted. And just loves to be tempted. And just, just loves to be hated by everybody in the world. And, and just loves to their parents to throw you out of the house because you're born again now. We just love this kind of stuff. Though this is not what it means. This Christian is, is not absence of weakness. We got plenty of weakness. We got uh, plenty of frailties in our life. We got plenty of fear and trembling and crying and tears and weaknesses. But it has the presence of a dependence on God and a willingness to learn and obey in all circumstances. No matter how painful. No matter how tearful. You have to have God. God means too much to this Christian than anything this world can give them or Satan can throw at them. Hearing with attention. These are the ones that as verse 9 says, are those who have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Hearing with intention to understand and obey, listen to this, is foundational to true Christianity and spirituality. We can say it's the beginning of all Christianity, it's the beginning of all being born again, of, of following God. It, it, it's, it's characteristic throughout the Christian's whole life. Over the course of their lives, they weather the storms we just mentioned. They weather the storms of the seducing influences of the world. They weather the storm of tribulations and the persecution from friends and loved ones. They've weathered those storms. It didn't mean they didn't have fears. It didn't mean they didn't have desires. They're going through it over the years and over the years, over the years. They had to fight the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the prideful possessions of life. But eventually they come to a place where they know they can't serve two masses and they count those things as rubbish. So they do it painfully and tearfully at times when they say, God, you got to break me from this love for this world. you got to break me from the fear of man, God. I, I find myself, I'm ashamed to open up my mouth and tell people about you because I don't want to go, I don't want to be persecuted. It's, it's not worth it, God. I just, I just want to live my quiet little life. Help me with this, Lord. Help me with this fear of man, God. Help me, Lord. I want to be fruitful for you. Jesus says, in this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. It reminds me of a passage in Hebrews chapter 11 about Moses, and it says this. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He considered, he thought, he pondered on his own parable. The reproach of Christ was greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for the reward. These folks aren't perfect. This, this, this fertile soil, they're not perfect. They desire to be perfect and please God. There's a difference. There's a hidden element in their hearts to please God. Because they're looking forward to reward, like Moses did. There's something in this, this soil that produces 30, 60, and 100. There's something special. There's something when they leave church, they don't leave God. When they leave church, God goes with them in their hearts. 
If they're with the ones or the tens or the twenties, God is still in their heart. When they're falling in temptation and weakness and sin, God is still in their heart. When they want to go to the left, they go to the right because God is in their heart. When they want to go to the left and they go to the left and they pick themselves up by grace and repent and they go back to the right side, it's because God is hidden in their heart. They seek the reward like Moses sought the reward. That's how this group of people, this group of Christians overcome the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the private possessions of life. They overcome the fear of man because they desire the reward the way Moses desired that reward. I got three closing remarks. When it comes to talking about 30, 60, 100 fold, by no stretch of imagination is Jesus saying, uh, who's the 100 fold Christian? And who's the 60 fold Christian? And I can see you 30 folds. You're sticking out. You're, you're, you're sparse. You know, this is not about watching each other's fruit. This is not about evaluating one another. Like, who's doing a good job with Jesus? And who's, I, Pastor, when I tell you now, I've gotten phone calls, Pastor, I've got to tell you about someone's, I've heard that. I've heard things like people like to evaluate one another. Jesus is not talking about the hundredfold Christian and the sixtyfold Christian and the thirtyfold Christian. Absolutely not. Jesus is, he's taking the analogy of the farmer in the field. When the farmer sowed, he would take an acre of land. And every acre of land would produce somewhere between 30 or 20 and 50 bushels of wheat. A good harvest would produce 60. The left side of the field could produce 100, and the right side of the field could produce 50. He didn't care. He looked at it corporately and said, oh, there's my bushels. He's not looking at what you're doing and just what you're doing. He's looking at corporately at what we're doing and we're bringing it together for the glory of God. Jesus is not setting one Christian above the other. This is not about bragging rights. This is not about a competitive spirit. He's just taking the analogy to another level. 30, 60, 100. The truth of the matter is, all of us, if we look at our life, we've probably had seasons of plenty. And there's probably been seasons of unfaithfulness in our heart. There are probably times when we first got born again, we couldn't shut up about Jesus, and we led more people to Christ in the first six months of our salvation than the next 26 years of our salvation. No one's on the 100% route all the time. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not making a distinguishing mark between genuine believers. He's looking at the church. This is our field. And if we all come together in the seasons of our hundred, or the seasons of weakness and frailty, or even backsliding our heart, if we all come together as a group of believers in the local church, God says, look at the harvest. It's, it's, it's 20 bushels, it's 50 bushels, it's 60 bushels. Look what the field produced. This is more than just looking at what you are doing and what you are doing. I saw what you gave and I saw what you didn't give. You think when you go to heaven, the mega church who's at the hundredfold fruit is closer to Jesus than, say, we are? 
in heaven we will see all the wheat. Because the angels are going to come at the end of the age and separate the wheat and the tares. And what we're going to see, we're going to see 100 fold. Because Jesus says, I lose not one. Everyone who's destined for the kingdom of heaven will be there. Christ will make it there. Whether he's using your 100% or he's using your 30%, one man sows and another man waters, but God gives it the increase. You will not be recognized by the size of your church when you're in heaven. You don't get closer to Jesus. The scriptures teach us that there are some whose whole ministries will burn up like fire, like straw and stubble and hay because they didn't build on the foundation with pure heart and a faithful message. Sure, they were saved, but they're barely going to make it into heaven that through the fire. But everything they did for God is going to be burned up. So we see that this 30, 60, 100 is more uh, metaphorical than it is actually where we are in our life. I would love to believe I'm a 100% fruitful guy. But the truth of the matter is, I don't qualify for that. I just don't. There's just too much humanity running in my blood. I'd like to believe some days I'm doing okay. But I tell you this, when we all do it together, in God's eyes, it's a hundredfold. It's a hundredfold. There's something else here. You know those two, the first seed doesn't really count. The second and the third seed, these lost, unfruitful souls did not leave. They're still in the church. They're still saying, I believe in Jesus. Lord, Lord. Look what I've done for you. I'm miracles in your names, and I'm casting out demons in your names. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. They're still in the church. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, Jesus calls them tares. They didn't go nowhere. In the parable of the dread net, Jesus calls them bad fish. They didn't go anywhere. Wait till the end of the age. The angels will take care of that. We live amongst people. Everybody believes in Jesus. It's in to believe in Jesus. Jesus is just all right with me. Who doesn't get you? Everybody. Oh, I'm born again. I'm saved. It's in vogue to say you're a born again evangelical Christian. They haven't gone anywhere. Only the angels can differentiate between the two. And this is why. Because the truth of the matter is, a true Christian can at times in his life be so unfruitful and so carnal, it look, could look like they never came to Christ. And the second reason is that Jesus is still holding out salvation to all those seeds. There are many exhortations in the New Testament to people of this type. Peter says, make sure of your election. Peter, Peter, Paul says, to examine yourself, to see whether you're in the faith. The Hebrew writer Hebrew says, today when you hear his voice, make sure you don't miss it like they did in the desert. Don't miss it like they did in the wilderness. When you hear his voice today, today is the day of salvation. 
You might have rejected me earlier in the life, but I'm still offering you salvation. And it's because of those two dynamics we leave to the angels. In the interim, we'll live through Christian life and the times in my own life I'm reflecting like Jesus. I'm like, I prayed with that person. I led that person to Christ. I water baptized that person. How can I see such great inconsistencies in their life? And you find yourself sitting on a park bench as Jesus sat at the, at the ocean. Reflected. How can people say I believe? And you see great inconsistencies in their life. For me, I just go to the text and say, You're right, God, the heart is wicked above all things. I'll leave it to the end of the age. Let the angels take care of it. In the interim, I'm going to love everybody and want everybody at the same time. Father, we thank you for peering into our heart tonight. God, thank you for opening up the heart of the matter. That the human heart truly is so wicked, so unpredictable, that no man can understand it. God, I just, I just pray for everybody in this room that can hear my voice, that they truly discern the Spirit of God, and they have the ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to their own lives, and that a lifestyle of yes, yes, and no, no is unacceptable to God. A lifestyle of serving two masters is unacceptable to God. Of being a friend of God and being a friend of the world is totally unacceptable to a holy God. And God, a superficial Christianity is no Christianity whatsoever, Lord God. But God, for those who have ears to hear, for those who ponder the message, for those who seek out an answer, for those who inquire, for those who continue to ask and seek and knock, O oh God, until you open up to them the things of heaven, Father. I pray, Father God, that everybody here can hear your voice. And with all eyes closed, if you think for a moment, maybe today, you're one of those people that at one time have walked away from Christ. Maybe at one time you really did profess Christ. But you've walked away for one reason or another. Maybe you don't want to be persecuted for your faith. You don't want to be numbered with those Christians, those Bible-believing Christians. And so you got persecuted and you ran away, but God wants to offer you salvation again. Or maybe you really did accept Christ in your heart, but you realized that the things got more important to you, the things of this world and the cares of this world became much more important to you than the kingdom of God. You didn't seek His righteousness and His kingdom first. But God is offering you again salvation. Where are you today? Is there anyone here that would like to accept Christ into their life? Anybody here that would really just like Jesus to come into my life? I see that hand. Don't be ashamed. If you really sense that, just raise your hand. And then it's Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Let's pray this prayer together with our eyes closed. Lord Jesus, I heard your word today. Forgive me of all my 
my sins. I don't want to serve the world and try to serve you at the same time. Forgive me of all my sins and now become my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. You know, as John comes up, I just want to encourage you. Maybe that's your first time you've ever prayed that with sincerity. If you really did, God's going to do something in your heart. He really is. Something new is going to transpire inside your heart. So please see me afterwards or, or during this.